Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur with your host, Steve Kidd, third-generation minister and 30-year business coach. Listen in as amazing, world-changing authors, speakers, and coaches share their struggles and victories and hear from best-selling authors' insight into how you, too, can live your life as a thriving entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur. I'm so grateful to have you here with us today as we talk to you about finding your famous. How do you find your famous? What is it? What does that mean? And how does that look? You know, for some people, it's a matter of you've got this skill set and maybe you even fight it. And then somebody outside of you comes in and says, hey, this is the thing you've got to do. For others of you, there are PR firms and marketing agencies and places that'll help make you famous so that you can do better the things that you would do in the world. And for others, it's just purely a matter of the good old-fashioned having a concert, having a way to present your stuff, whether it be musically or speaking or whatever. And I have three amazing guests that have not only found their own famous, but they are experts at helping you be the best you that you can be in the world. Because at the end of the day, finding your famous is about one thing and one thing only. And that is about helping you to be the best you that you can be in the world, to present yourself to the best, to show up in the world the best, to serve your clients and the people that you work with the best, and to live as a thriving entrepreneur. We're going to have no commercial breaks today because we're going to jump right into this and go back to back here together on Thriving Entrepreneur. Join me in welcoming Vicki Brown. Hey, Vicki, how are you doing today? I'm fine. How are you today? I'm doing really great. Thank you. So first off, tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. Sure. Um, Well, I have been in human resources, actually, for longer than I'm going to say out loud. So it's been quite a while. Um, And I started out in the corporate world. So I worked with HBO in HR. That's actually where I learned HR at the foot of um, a labor attorney. And um, many, many years ago, and then in 2001, I started my own consultancy, HR consultancy. So, um, and that was completely unplanned, Uh, never planned on being an entrepreneur, never planned on owning my own business. Uh, The, it was a financial services technology firm that I was with. And we unfortunately got caught in the bubble. So we were not able to get our next round in early 2001. So the company closed. And the president of the company at that time said, gee, you should start your own company. And he said, you've done a really great job. I gave you no money for this division and you really built it up into something. And I said, well, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. And no, I'm going to go get a job. (laughs) He said, why not? And I said, well, because I'm a great number two. My job as the chief HR officer is to kind of sit on the shoulder of the CEO and whisper things in their ear. Did you think about this? Did you think about that? And to be their confidant. And that is a role that I've always really relished. And if I do say so myself, have become really good at. So I said, I'm a great number two. I have no aspirations to be number one and uh, don't even know how I would, how I would do that. Uh, and he said, okay, that's fine. And then in April of that month, that was in February of 2001, in April, 
and called and said that he had taken on a new role as the CEO of a new company that was based in New York, although we were both in California. He had no intention of moving, but he said that I had taught him enough HR to know that he did not have his P's and Q's together uh, with the New York team. So he needed things like a handbook and payroll and benefits, et cetera. And could I please do that for him as an independent contractor? Uh, I agreed to do that uh, very, very part-time. And over the months from April through August, he kept adding duties, adding duties, adding projects. And pretty soon my compliance gene kicked in and I was like, well, I have access to a lot of private information for your employees. So we need to have a contract and I need to have insurance and I need a corporate veil and you need protection too. So he kind of pushed me into starting a Domineo and um, it was really one of the best things I've ever done. So that's a little bit of my backstory. Ripped you into having a company of your own, even though you told him you wouldn't. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and um, I chalk that up to, we never know what we've got until it's sometimes reflected from someone else. I didn't see that quality of leading a company and building a business in myself. I wasn't looking for it. It was something that was not part of my personal story to myself, but he saw it right away. And so he just moved forward. <laughs> I see him occasionally now and uh, blame him for it every single day. <laughs> I love that. So tell us uh, in a little bit more detail, uh, what kind of things do you do now as a company now that you've just resigned yourself to having it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And by the way, that was 21 years ago. So well, actually 22. So, oh my goodness. Um, and we do everything that is that an HR department would do. We're actually, we consider ourselves an HR department that simply doesn't sit in your offices. So we handle employee relations issues and lots of compliance and transaction issues, but we also handle you know, workforce consulting. One of the things we love, love to do is to help entrepreneurs, business owners, and managers grow their tool belt around managing people. Because generally speaking, particularly for managers, you get promoted into that spot because you're really, really good at the job. But once you get promoted into managing other people, that's a different job and a different muscle. And so we really love um, being the consultant for new managers that are coming on board or even seasoned managers that need a little bit, uh, a little bit of support around the people management side. And then we handle the other things like payroll administration and benefits administration. So pretty much everything that is the life cycle of the employee A to Z. We're really here to help you protect your company. I think of, of HR as a kind of um, the, a shield for the organization. We're here to watch out for things that you don't know about as the business owner and protect you so that you don't get surprised by something on the back end. So let's, if we can, help some business owners out here just a little bit today. Sure. What are uh, a couple of things, they're going to have to work with you if they want to know all of them, but let's give them one or two things mm -hmm. that most people don't have right that you really, really wish they would before they contacted you. <laughs> well, you know, there are some of the standard things and I can certainly go through them. Like, um, unfortunately, misclassifying employees is a big one. You feel like someone's an independent contractor, but 
based on the laws in your state. And I'm in California. So California has some very specific guidelines, as does New York and some other states, around what makes an independent contractor. And to make it even more complicated, all of the constituencies that have their fingers in the pie of we want our tax money, um, they have guidelines too. So the Department of Labor has, has a, a um, set of rules and the IRS has a set of rules. And so that can be somewhat complex. But the other part about classifying uh, employees is when you're sure that you actually do have what we call a W-2 employee, um, so they're not an independent contractor, but you've classified them as not eligible for overtime, when in fact, that job should be eligible for overtime. And that's a big one. That comes back and bites a lot of employers all the time, because if you misclassify someone, then you could be liable for back pay, for overtime pay, even if the person didn't incur overtime, unless you have records to prove that, the burden is on you as the employer to prove that they didn't have overtime and uh, that you paid them correctly. So it can be a significant financial burden to misclassify an employee. So I always say that um, unfortunately, the employee can't decide and the company can't decide. It's the regulators that decide and they're not looking at the person, they're actually looking at the job. So there's, there's uh, sorry, there are specific guidelines around what makes something what we call exempt, meaning exempt from overtime. And unless that job hits those guidelines, then you could really be in a, a little bit of the soup if you classify that person as not eligible for overtime. And if I may, there is something that is brand new that's coming around that I'm kind of trumpeting from the, from the mountaintop uh, in the next few weeks or so. Um, as of today, there is a new I-9 form. Now, the I-9 form is sometimes called the um, authorization to work in the United States. So it's the form that you use with new hires where you collect um, identification documents from them and authorization documents from them, and they fill out part of the form, you fill out part of the form, etc. There are lots of guidelines around the I-9, what has to happen with it, what can't happen with it. It has to be completed within three days of the person starting. And if you get that wrong, the Department of Homeland Security is gonna to wanna to have a conversation with you. So getting the I-9 right is really important. But there's a little bit of a new twist that is happening. As of today, there's a new I-9 form. It's been um, consolidated a little bit, which is great, but uh, you do have to use the new I-9 form. You have until, I believe, October 30th to roll that out, but you need to be aware that that form exists. But the thing that's kind of most important is the documentation. So typically with the documents, you collect documentation from the employee very often, although you can't specify, the employee will give you whatever meets the guidelines, but very often it's something like a driver's license and a social security card. Driver's license will identify the person, social security card will show that they're authorized to work in the US. It also might be a passport, it might be all sorts of things. Um, those documents in the past had to be eyeballed, physically eyeballed by a human being. And then you sign off on the I-9 form, basically under penalty of perjury, that you've seen the original documentation. You can make a copy of the documents or not, but you do have to actually eyeball the original documents. Then once the pandemic hit, those guidelines were released a little bit. So they said, you know what, we know a lot of people are working remotely. We know you're hiring people all over this, all over the US. So you don't have to see those documents 
physically. You can look at a copy of them. So people were able to take it, make a copy of their documents, send them into their employer, and those were able to be used for the um, I-9. Now there's something fun and new, which is now that the emergency has been declared over, they are now requiring you to once again, look at the physical documentation. And on top of that, any of the copies that you looked at, so I-9s that you accepted during the pandemic, where you did not look at the original documents, they're now requiring employers to go back and re-verify those. So that's a big deal. And that has to be done by the end of this month. So that's kind of something that slipped under the radar and I'm trying to, you know, sing the song so everybody knows that that's happening. Now, going forward, there are various things that you can do to avoid having to look at those documents physically. You can um, sign up for E-Verify and there's some other things that you can do. But basically going forward, you're going to need to look at the physical documents. And the big ticket item is that you have to go back and re-verify the ones that you did where you didn't see the physical documents so far. So I, that's kind of probably enough to have people shaking in their boots just a little bit. <laughs> I don't want to terrify everyone, but, um, but those are two big pieces, one that's uh, ongoing and one that's current that I think is really important to be aware of. Absolutely. I had a fun one that I ran into last year. I had one of my contractors, um, you know, and all my people are remote workers and all of them mm -hmm. are contractors. And, and I've been through it enough that I, I, I know I'm qualifying for them being independent contractors, mm -hmm. luckily, um, but one of them wanted to look in the possibility of becoming a W-2 employee, mm -hmm. um, and they just happened to live in the state of Washington, mm -hmm. um, and uh, it was quite a nightmare, and um, it wasn't worth all the time that I spent on it, and, and nothing came of it, but, uh, you know, I, I can say from experience and a lot of HR people that I talked to, Washington is one of those kind of states that, especially for remote workers, is especially hard to be able to move them to employees. <laughs> it is. It is. And the challenge that you were facing actually speaks to kind of an underlying piece that employers very often forget or don't know. If you have someone working remotely in a different state, you need to know what the guidelines are for that particular state. You probably are going to need to set yourself up as doing business in that state because not only are you triggering things as an employer now in that state, but you're also probably triggering uh, the business tax side of whatever that is in California. It's the California Franchise Tax Board. But you are probably also triggering something with them. So they're going to want to know if you're doing business in the state. And if you're not, why you have an employee in the state, et cetera. So there are some complications that come with that. Your workers' comp, you need to make sure that you're, um, you've done a rider on your workers' comp so that it wraps around that person in a different state. If you have medical benefits or something like that, you need to accommodate that as well. So having remote employees is uh, can be complex and can be very complicated. And I understand that you probably spent a lot of time on it because even for us professionals, it, it takes a bit, you know, it's a bit of doing, certainly. A lot of time that, you know, still ended up having absolutely nothing work for it. So, you know, I tried because it's a valued person that's worked for with me uh, for a lot of years, but it just, yeah, nothing came out of it. I was just like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> 
sorry to hear that. (laughs) No problem. It's times like that when I wish I would have just known you before. And I could have just been like, Vicki, please help. Um, and then you would have just told me, it's like, Steve, don't do it unless you have to. <laughs> right, right. And that's a perfect example kind of of what we do. So we would have looked at it. We would have told you what it involved and how it might impact your business. But then we would have taken care of all the nuts and bolts. So, um, so once you made the decision, then we would have taken care of the action items. I love it. So um Give the listeners something that they can and should do right now today uh, to be able to take them another step forward to being a little bit closer to in compliance. Mm -hmm. Um, A couple of the things that uh, I think are really important to do is you probably need to do an audit of your current personnel files. They can be a little bit of a ticking time bomb. Um, if you don't have, first of all, if you have agreements in your organization, you have um, uh, inventions agreements or confidentiality agreements, if you have any kind of agreements in your organization, it always is a good idea to go back and make sure that everyone has signed those and that you have copies in the files, because inevitably it will be a termination situation and someone's leaving and you want to remind them of your intellectual property, et cetera, et cetera. And that's the one person who didn't quite sign the document and get it back to you. So it's better to go ahead and do that audit ahead of time before you run into any of those kinds of challenges. And you can also do things like clean up your I-9s and things like that. If you clean them up through a self-audit, that always puts you in a better position than if someone walks in and does an audit of your services, of your um, files and finds you lacking. So. Definitely a good idea for that about that. Uh, and then the other thing is make sure that either when you hire someone and specifically when you terminate someone, that you're providing all the proper notices. Now, you can go to the employer website of your state and they will have something like a new hire package or a termination notice requirement package or something like that. Um, You can get it from us, but you can also get it from them. And uh, it will give you all of the documents that you're required to provide. Again, for instance, in California, upon termination, you're required to provide what's called a change of relationship notice. And the employee will use that uh, as they're going through the unemployment process. There are some other documents and notices that you're required to provide. And those are the things that get forgotten and get lost. You tend to do the final check. You tend to do maybe a letter saying, you know, confirming that someone is terminated or that they're leaving. But those, those documents don't make it in the packet. So I would say make sure that you check with the state on um, or even your local chamber of commerce will probably also be able to give you a, a leg up on what some of those documents are. And you can always reach out to us. We're happy to help. So. And trust me, everybody, you just really want somebody like Vicki in your corner. You may be thinking right now you don't need it, but when it comes up, just just have somebody like her already on speed dial. I would have said in your Rolodex, but most people listening don't know what that means anymore. Um, and that makes me sad. <laughs> I know, right? Um, so Vicki, uh, tell us how can a person get in contact with you? Well, um, so you can get in touch with us through um, morehumanmoreresources.info. Uh, and that will get you to our website, our contact information. We also have uh, 
some a couple of freebies there. In fact, if you go to morehumanmoreresources.info slash forward slash podcast gift, we have a little gift for you. So for your listeners. So um, we actually have uh, what is called the ultimate HR workflow guide. And it actually is a series of workflows for the new hire process, the termination process, recruiting, et cetera. So I think that that guide will be really helpful at least to get you started and point you in the right direction. And it tells you step-by-step what actions you need to take, what kind of documents you need, et cetera. So again, that is morehumanmoreresources.info, not com, but .info, forward slash podcast gift. Love that. Vicki, thanks so much. One last thing before I let you go. encourage the listeners that um, HR and all of the things surrounding that doesn't have to be something that has to be difficult for them. It absolutely doesn't. It is like anything that you do as far as your company is concerned. I know as an entrepreneur, a business leader, a business owner, planning is important and organization is important. You do it with your marketing, I'm sure. You do it with your accounting, I'm sure. As far as HR is concerned, yes, there is the people component, and there certainly is dealing with challenges that come up as individuals have um, concerns or questions around the organization or as they're going through their job, and training is important and all of those kinds of things. So there's that piece of it, but from the compliance side of things, it's really about leveraging the resources that are available to you, like I said, your chamber of commerce, your local, your state employment um, development division. So leveraging the resources that are available to you, doing it ahead of time so that you've planned ahead of time and just making sure that you've taken care of the big chunks. And if you have questions, then certainly reaching out to someone like me or another HR professional or even a labor attorney, and they'll be able to tell you what's the most important thing based on what you've got, what's the most important thing that you need to focus on right now, et cetera. But it's really all about pre-planning. HR is not um, frightening unless you find yourself in a situation where the pre-planning hasn't happened and now you're trying to play catch up. And that's the thing that's most concerning. There are two pieces. One is not knowing what you don't know. And the other is trying to play catch up after the fact. And you got that. You can take care of both of those things way ahead of time and you will be ahead of the curve and you could sleep well at night. (laughs) And that is all very, very good stuff. Well, Vicki, thank you so much. It's uh, packed full of great information and so much more you could have shared with us. Everybody needs to re- reach out to Vicki and have her in your pocket just in case. Vicki, thanks so much for spending some time with us here on the show today. Thank you so much for inviting me and thank you to your audience. We've had a great time and everybody have a great rest of the day. We're going to jump right into our next guest. Join me in welcoming Annie Osong. Hey, Annie, how you doing today? Mm-hmm. I'm doing great, thank you. And great for being for being on your show, Steve. So um, it's a privilege to be here with you. Yeah, it's yeah. A great great to have a voice to your audience. So to begin with, tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. Okay, so I'm Any Osung. I've got a company called Global Media. We're essentially a marketing agency. So my remit, my mission, is to make people famous. I started a company in 2015, we're able to make people famous because when you're famous, you tend to sell more. 
Yeah, so the company's evolved over time. You know, it's in the last nine years. I'll be honest with you, Steve. I thought the digital marketing, 2015, everyone is digital marketing. I haven't told my wife, you know, in two years, we'll be retired on, on a beach. Yeah, Steve. Yeah, 2015, 2023. I'm still, I'm still fighting hard. I'm still, I'm not, I'm not quite hustling. I'm, I know where I'm, I know where I am. I know where I'm going now. So I'm on, I'm on, on the journey. Yeah, I guess not, one thing I would say is that the journey has evolved not in the way I thought it would. Initially, my idea was to make people rich on radio and TV. It's been on radio with you. It's a special, it's a special gift for me, especially so in particular anyway. See, I thought I'd make people rich on TV and radio, and then I realized that it's quite expensive to get people on radio and TV. So I had to change that and then turn that into digital marketing. In this case, I don't, I don't make you famous online. You know, I, I chose to redesign my business to become a real marketing agency that provides what people need, which boils down to a website, you know, social media, ads, email. Yeah, and you know, so I thought, well, those four things I can make people rich by making them famous. Then you, then I realized very quickly that the average company, the small, the small business, the plumber, the electrician, you know, the consultant, wouldn't afford one of those things, let alone all of them. So it was a real battle trying to make them famous. Uh, I thought, okay, I'm defeated. There must be a way. And then one day it dawned on me, LinkedIn is a great way to get people famous. You know, it's, not, it's not about fame per se. It's now, it became about making people famous to that target audience. So I thought, okay, you know, I, I can do that with digital marketing. But if every, everything I do is targeted. So if people come to me with the target audience very clearly specified, they want to talk to these people in these job titles, in this sector, in this location, I can find those people for them. So that's, that's pretty much what I do these days. I find them on LinkedIn. I find them on Google through ads. Through ads. I find them an email for, for a company email addresses. And then I put them in front of the target audience. They all sell more. I guess the latest thing for me these days is LinkedIn Audio, where I can bring people in front of the target audience in, in, a, in a huge group. So the fame mission is continuous, Steve, continuously still. I dare say I'm still driven to people, put people people on radio and TV. And I'm trying to find media partners who can actually help us buy space, spaces to put our clients on, on mainstream TV and mainstream radio. I love that. So um, fame has changed a little bit uh, over the course of especially the last couple of decades. Um, if you had to give it a definition, how would you define fame these days? No, I think that you're, you're dead right there. No, I think that's what I realized after I started the business. Now, fame in the days gone by was being on TV and radio, being known by the mass public, being a celebrity. Being done by everyone, you know. So whilst that is still a definition of fame, I think in business, it's more, probably more important to be in front of your target audience. You know, if, if you if you if you're in front of those those people who know, who you're trying to sell to, know who you are, what you do, what you believe in, how you work, then that's when they're going to buy from you. 
you know, we'll still follow celebrities and that's we'll still buy from brands that we'll know, like, and trust. I mean, that, that's a, visual, a version of fame today that we can all aim for and achieve. Perfect. So we've got to build that no like, and trust factor. And you're mostly looking at the social medias. Um, talk a little bit about the social medias that you do like and the ones that you kind of tend to shy people away from. Oh, yeah. Okay. I love that question. You see, I don't want to say this in public. I'll be honest. I'm an honest guy. So why not? You see, I'm the most unsociable social media guy you've ever met. You know, I, I don't scroll through social media platforms. It just, the whole thing just bores me. I'll ask my marketer, so I have to use social media for my clients. You have to be on social media platforms because your clients are there. So I've had to learn to use all the different platforms from Facebook to Instagram to LinkedIn. You know, I won't say it's only social media, by the way. I said part of my making my clients famous, you know, it includes email. It includes thousands, sending thousands of emails every month to my clients' target audience. It also includes putting my clients on ads, sometimes on Facebook, sometimes on, on Instagram, less so on LinkedIn because it's so expensive. But the, like, you can, you can, people are also looking for my clients and for your business on on Google. Whether it's Google search, whether it's yeah you know, YouTube, you know, I, I just two examples of Google's advertising platforms. So when it comes to social media, I think you have to be on the ones where your clients are. You know, you have to at least be maybe you have to be on Facebook as a given because Facebook has billions of users. You know, your clients are all on Facebook. They, everyone's on Facebook pretty much. Now, do they look on Facebook to buy services? Maybe not, but they they look on Facebook. Do they scroll as much as we would like? Maybe not. No, but I think just having a presence there means when someone's looking, whether to validate what they think about you or whether you're actually a real company, they'll go to Facebook first. Now, if you, if you think Facebook, you must well think Instagram because Facebook owns Instagram, right? You know, alas, you know, if if you if you you know, for most businesses, we make most of our connections and our business sales on LinkedIn. Now, I sell loads on Facebook for my clients who that sells their skincare. So I do loads of business for my clients who do construction on Facebook, same as on, on Instagram. But if I want to sell you know, my, 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 coach, my coaching clients' services, I tend to use LinkedIn instead. So LinkedIn, you know, of course, you know, you can you can do the post on LinkedIn, you can do the engagement, you can do commenting like everyone else does. You, can, you know, you can you can post, 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 and do ads. The ads are very costly on LinkedIn. The cost per click is extraordinary. You know, you have to have real high value products or services to go in LinkedIn advertising. I really think it's you know, it's extortionate pricing. You know, on on Google, you're talking a few pounds, a few dollars. Per click on LinkedIn, you're talking five dollars per click and up. You know, sometimes it's twenty dollars a click. It's fine if they buy. If they don't buy, you're in trouble. Unless you've got deep pockets. I tend to work with small businesses, so I don't have clients who have such deep pockets. You know, so again, you know, in, in 2023, LinkedIn has changed. You know, I think social media has changed as a whole. 
you know, in, you say in days gone by, Steve, you know, we used to post and post and post and post, 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 post. And they'll see us one day and they'll engage with our post. They'll like us, they'll buy, they'll buy from us. That, you know, it, 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 it didn't work then. It doesn't work now. You know, I think now, you know, it's about pushing yourself forward, you know, and, and as a genuine brand, you know, I've got a company. Of course, I've got a company. So have you. But we have to, we have to show up on, on social media these days as ourselves. That normally means video. And I'm being, actually being on video or at least being on audio where we're actually talking to people in real time. They can hear us. They can see us. And almost like they can feel us. You know, that's where I think today's fame really comes from, how social media has evolved. You know, I guess you know, if I was going to add to that, I would say this new version of social media only works because it works for the users too. Yeah, you know, if you think of our clients, Steve, and our clients, we thought they want to see nice pictures and videos, right? But they don't. That's not what people want social media for. You know, if you spend any, any amount of time doing LinkedIn audio, I guess you realize that many clients, many, many people all over the world, Americans, Canadians, Africans, Asians, what they really want to do on social media is they want to get therapy. They want to share their stories. They want to talk to people who care in real time. They want to talk to you that way and, and share their problems with you. Uh, lucky for us, as service providers, we just say, yeah, I can help you with that. But they want to come on, on load on you. They feel better. They feel listened to. They feel more famous because they've actually spoken in public. Now, it's, you know, it's, it's, today's mix, I think, is it's a lot better than it used to be because the, the users benefit from so getting this therapy that they need. My clients benefit from being more known. And also for being known for helping people. And ultimately, ultimately, my clients also generate leads because people know who they are, have heard them, have seen them doing what they do almost, and actually think they're going to, they believe they can know that can trust them. It's, it's an amazing thing when it happens. So, give us just one tip as to uh, something good that we could do to really up level our social media. Just one thing. Yep, just one thing you know today. What? They have to work for you, if they <laughs> work with you if they want more than one. Right. Okay, that is true. Okay, I'll take that for sure. Now, the one thing I would say is show up and, and speak up. Be seen. Don't, don't hide behind images. Don't hide behind videos. You know, show up and you know, go go to events, whether it's live streams, whether it's audio rooms, you know, and speak. You know, you can hide amongst the audience if you want, but when no, we're very few. You know, people know you're there, but if you go on stage, Steve, they can see you a lot more. If you're a host, they, everyone can see you there, can't they? Like they know who you are because your name's everywhere. Your, your name's on the flyer, your name's on the event page. Everything everyone says about your events, you know, it has you on there. You know, show up and you know, be proud and stand front, right, and center, you know, of your of your of your persona, of your of your brand. That's the one thing I say to people. Sure. Even maybe do do things like this as well, Steve. You know, don't be shy. You know, put yourself forward. Be seen. Be heard. And you know, love being you. You know, and that's what I try and do. 
Perfect. I love that. So for the person who would like to work with you and have you help them out with their social media, how can they get in contact with you? Oh, very simple. So on, on every platform, I have my company name. So at global dot media. So at global.media. But that's that's on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. On LinkedIn, I've got a company page at global.media. And actually, you, you also find me by just searching for at any Osung on LinkedIn. You know, I, I, I have a podcast, the Learn In with Any Osung. It's a, it's a slight take off LinkedIn. So that's that, that's my that's my platform of choice. So so there's so a Learn In. I, I talk about also marketing topics from that on that platform. And that's across every podcast channel that there is out there. You know, on Apple for sure. On Spotify, so I tend to listen to my podcasts. Also, I have a website at global.media, you know, global.media.com. So you know, check it out. And, and there's always a form on my website because I believe in having a website that looks a bit like a, like a landing page. So on the homepage, there is a contact form. You know, and you know, do connect with me. Please do. But even if you don't, even if you just want to find out what we do or just you know, get some ideas. I happily, I talk to most people. Now, I always say, Steve, talking is free. Me marketing for you, actually doing work for you, costs money. Absolutely. I appreciate that. That was some really good advice. Andy, thanks so much for spending some time with us here on the show today. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. I truly appreciate the opportunity. I really do. With that, let's jump into our last guest for the day. Join me in welcoming Robbie Cole. Hey, Robbie, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So to begin with, tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. Well, I guess the easiest way to say it is that I have been uh, trying to find new ways of doing things in the creative arts uh, since my 20s, um, trying to pull off things that other people thought were not possible and find new ways to accomplish things that um, maybe were more difficult in the old way. Okay, now I got to ask this right off the top sure. um, because uh, I was reading this in your bio and you're the co-founder and CEO of Hush Concerts. Um, I love the name, by the way, uh, but I'm wondering, is this AMS, ASMR concerts where like everybody has to be really still because the person's whispering to them during the concert? <laughs> No, no, nothing, nothing so um, so uh, oppressive as that. Um, what Hush Concerts is here to do is help you find new ways of uh, bringing audio and unique production environments to any kind of event. Um, and it what started around this challenge we had. Um, we we came from originally we we started the company uh, to promote concerts in the Bay Area, which is an extremely difficult place to put on concerts. There's some amazing promotion companies there that we had to compete with. We were fully bootstrapped and we really had to claw our way into that market. And one of the things we we excelled in was doing small community festivals in urban places where people said, you really can't do that in that park. Well, that's where music really should be is outdoors in parks in these beautiful places. And we started running into official 
uh, interference, uh, what's commonly known as nimbyism, not in my backyard. You had, you know, one angry neighbor who just didn't want that concert there for whatever reason, some of them legitimate, some of them not. And we were constantly at odds with these people. And um, in the late 90s, early 2000s, as the American festival um, industry, as the local fair culture, as the outdoor event culture started to mature, these sort of um, antagonist interactions between neighbors and producers and promoters and impresarios were becoming rampant. And so we were on the front lines of one of these battles uh, around a beautiful little event we used to put on called North Beach Jazz in San Francisco in the early 2000s. And at the same time, I happened to have been a touring DJ. I was a resident DJ at a pretty big festival you may have heard of called Bonnaroo. And Bonnaroo brought this concept called Silent Disco to Bonnaroo in 2005 and asked me to be the DJ of the first Silent Disco in America. And immediately I saw the idea of using headphones instead of loudspeakers as a way to solve some of these antagonistic situations between producers and neighbors. Hence, wow. eventually, uh, we, we got our hands on headphones, built an entire business around it, and relaunched as Hush Concerts in 2014. Hush Concerts being a, a different way of saying silent disco, although we don't think silent disco is a really accurate way to describe what it is we're doing. It's wireless headphone concerts would be the best way to put it on. And events and corporate meetings and translation and yoga, et cetera, et cetera. It runs the gamut of the world of events these days. I love that. That's awesome. Because, you know, you go to any town and I don't care how big the town is. It could be, uh, you know, like the little town I live in that's 450 people or, you know, it could be San Francisco or Los Angeles or whatever. And every one of those neighborhoods has that cool park with the amphitheater that nobody ever uses you know the kids maybe play on it but nobody ever uses it and oh man going way back to the mid 80s i was like i just want to tour the whole country you know you can't make any money doing this but you know tour the whole country and just for free set up in every little park and 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 play a gig um i, I like your idea way better i think you can actually make money doing that yeah and and showing folks with ideas like yours how to make money and how to, um, it's not always, it doesn't necessarily have to be antagonistic. Sometimes it's, a, you're, you're helping people find win-win. Part One of the things we learned during North Beach Jazz in a, a series of very public citywide negotiations with the Rec and Park Commission, the mayor who was Gavin Newsom at the time got personally involved in the negotiation on our behalf. Very impressive person, I, I might say, by the way. Um, very, very helpful to us in, in helping navigate those neighborhood issues and helping us see that, you know, when you, you, if you're the person in the apartment who's trying to sleep, you're hundred percent correct. And as a producer, we have to have the empathy to see that. On the other hand, as an entrepreneur and somebody who believes in the arts and who wants to put on music and God forbid, maybe make a little money along the way as a producer, which is really hard in the music game. Um, we also have rights, right? So Wireless headphones was just one of the ways that we found to help solve some of these challenges. And along the way, we found that, you know, in some cases, we've been called in to help consult on how to talk to your neighbors, how to inform your neighbors, how to market your event in a way that's holistic to your community. Um, during the pandemic, we were putting on drive-in concerts um, as a way of getting people out safely during the pandemic 
and we helped solve some of the big technical challenges around driving events. So it really, you know, we're known for headphones, we're known for silent disco and silent conference. But to me, the real joy of being in this business is helping folks like you have who have ideas like that. Hey, I love this park. I want to put on an event. I'm going to, I, me and my team are going to show you how to do that. I love that so much. And you're more than welcome to run with my idea of trying to figure out how ASMR uh, actors can um, can somehow have a concert. That could actually be pretty cool. Um, I was actually just trying to make you laugh, but. Um. No, it's not. I mean, in fact, we've done exactly that. And we've done uh, tours where we've gone into towns and put on concerts. Usually the biggest barrier for entry in that um, is that, uh, for one thing, you need to get a sound permit, um, which is sometimes difficult in different towns. And then you have to fence it. And then you have to have security at that fencing, right? Because if you're going to sell a ticket, you have to make sure that people buy that ticket before they walk in. Headphone concerts solve those two biggest challenges. First, there's no sound and there's no fencing. If somebody wants to participate in the concert, they just have to rent your headphones. But they can they can walk through the park. A lot of towns have... Uh, free access rules in their parks so that you couldn't uh, bar somebody from walking past such and such pond or on such and such a field because, you know, the folks who pay taxes, they feel they have the right to be on that lawn at that time. Well, our, our thing allows uh, a producer to put on an event uh, and people can still walk through. But if they want the music, if they want to participate in the um, the business risk that the promoter took by hiring musicians, et cetera, et cetera. Well, then they got to rent the headphones, but either way, everybody wins. I love it. I, I mean, I think my only question would be how often do you find people walk off with your headphones? It's <laughs> a very good question. And uh, that's one of the biggest challenges we've, we've faced since the very beginning. Um, you know, we, on the concert side of things. So, so first off, about half our business is in the corporate and conference space. We are putting together theaters in the middle of busy, like extremely loud, chaotic trade show floors. So you could host breakout sessions in the middle of your trade show. We do that all over the country, all over the world. And we do translation services, et cetera, et cetera. But the fun stuff is the concert side, right? And on the corporate thing, you really don't have to worry about people walking off with headphones because who's going to steal something at a, at a trade show, right? They're trying to give you swag. Why would you steal our headphones that aren't even going to work from you at home, right? But in the concert space, like you said, that is a challenge. And there's a couple different ways to do it. One way is to um, essentially take an ID or uh, swipe a credit card when somebody gets a headphone, kind of a collateralized method. Another way, a really simple way is, and, and this also goes down to human nature. In general, people don't want to steal things, we found, especially at these sort of events. So if you create a barrier, even if it's a, uh, a, a, a semi, semi uh, what are they, um, I'm sorry, semi-permeable barrier, for instance, you don't have to put a big fencing around a space to keep people from, quote unquote, walking out with headphones. A little picket fence will do it. Or sometimes just like some some yarn, a suggestion that, hey, this is as far as you can go. And then you have some folks around enforcing it. And occasionally some will walk off. People will do so, you know, not so uh, purposefully. But but the idea is is setting expectations with people when they come in, setting accountability, responsibility, 
And if you treat people like guests and not like, you know, prisoners in your caged event, then they'll act that way. And a lot of it has to do with uh, with service and how we treat people. I love that so much. Reminds me back in the day of all the block parties we used to play. Um, you know, I was a lot younger back then, but... <laughs> Tell, can you um, can you elaborate? I'm I'm really curious. What what block parties do you speak of? Well, um, you know our band. We were a, a local band in Flint, Michigan, uh, back before the water water crisis, mid '80s, uh, mid to late '80s. Okay. Um, and yeah, we would go to block parties. Um, most of the time, what they would do is pull in a uh, some form of a flatbed or a semi trailer that uh, one of the sides would fold down. And then we could set up, you know, as though it was a stage and, and that would also pretty well block off the street. And then, you know, and, and most of the ones we were at, they were annualized. So they had had them for years and they always brought in a local band, but it was a lot of fun. You know, we did a few of them. We did one of them was on the patio of a person's uh, lake front house, uh, you know, so it was beachside, but it was beachside of one of the great lakes. I don't remember which one. Um, you know, but those kind of things, those, those were always a lot of fun, a lot of community, um, you know, but the whole intention is, is, you know, this music's going to be loud enough that everybody in the neighborhood, even inside of their houses, they're going to hear what we're playing. <laughs> yes. Um, and there's, yeah, that, that is, um, and, and those are the best kind of events too, right? Community driven, community built from the ground up, all, everybody there is a friend or neighbor or or, you know, everybody, you know, if somebody comes down and complains, generally, you know who that is, and you go and talk to them. Um, one of the, the beautiful things about the, I, I guess it's a silent disco movement or wireless headphone culture is that it allows everyone to do whatever it is they want. Like, you know, about half the time we do our events, we'll send staff, we'll set it up for them. But there's plenty, plenty of people who are just like, hey, just send us the headphones we're, we know how to solve our challenge by ourselves. We know what we want to do. It's a barbecue in our backyard. It's a house party. We want to go later at the wedding than they say we can. And, and that's the beauty of it, really, because um, those more uh, local neighborhood community and familial celebrations are the ones that have the most profound um, cathartic connections at them. You can have a really wonderful cathartic time at some big event but you're going to have a much it's it's a it's an it's a relationship between you and the artist and the music on stage whereas you can have just as profound an experience with the people you're around at a house party as you could with the people you're around at a big concert so putting that power in the hands of individual people to to create their own musical event their own conference event their own we we did this thing called lit litquake in san francisco it was a literary festival with readings in dozens of bars all over the city and like half of them couldn't have amplified sound so they used headphones and you know what people found out was that everyone really listens when they're on headphones because you can't hear anything else it's it's pretty pretty amazing all one of the many side um discoveries we've we've seen about immersion and about the technology since we started doing it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I absolutely love it. I mean, we we're talking about back when I was in the band, you know, I mean, this was when wireless mics were coming out, but you know, about halfway through any concert, you were going to be throwing away your wireless mic and going back to the, 
the right. cord anyway because your battery was going to die on you. So um, technology has come a long way since then, and I'm glad to see it. That is really cool stuff. So, Robbie, um, I know there's a lot of people that are listening that can think of everything from their daughter's wedding to a giant event, you know, and of all sizes, and they'd love to work with you. Tell us um, how they can get in contact with you so that you can help them out. Sure. I mean, Hush Concerts, everything is, uh, that's our brand. So hushconcerts.com, at Hush Concerts on all the socials. Um, the easiest way to go is just go to the website. You can submit an inquiry. Tell us where you are, what you're trying to do. Um, generally comes down to how many headphones you need and for how long. Um, and we can usually help you. We have headphones staged in uh, six cities around the country. We have staff all over the country. We'll fly anywhere. And um, one of my favorite things to do is help people figure out tough challenges. Um, I love when somebody tells someone, no, you can't do that. And then they call us and say, well, you can't do it that way, but we'll show you how. That's that's why I get up in the morning is to help people with stuff like that. Oh, I love that. You and I could geek out on audio equipment for the next couple of hours. Uh, but I do hope everybody will go to hushconcerts.com. Um, or any of the, the other social medias, look up Hush Concerts. Have a chat with Robbie and his staff. Uh, this is a really, really great solution to problems that we've been dealing with, I'm sure, going way back before I was in the music industry, too. Robbie, before I let you go, uh, give us some words of encouragement about just how powerful your event can be with just a little bit of technology help. So... Um... You know, we talked about one of the, there, there's so many things we noticed about uh, doing headphone events that we hadn't anticipated, right? Big, profound insights we learned about. And um, the one I think that sticks out the most that's the real is, is um, the idea of false anonymity that comes out from putting on headphones. So we all know about false anonymity allows people to say things on the internet or on social media they wouldn't otherwise have said because they're hiding behind their avatar, right? And um, the same thing happens when people put on headphones, which is really fascinating. Um, for instance, when, when you go to a wedding, everyone dances, right? When you go to a club, not everybody's dancing. Most people are walking around. You go to a wedding, the whole family dances. Everybody, you know you're safe. You know you're among friends. You don't care if you look dumb when you're dancing. So everybody gets out there. Well, what's interesting at a silent disco event or at a hush concert or even at a um, or at a silent conference or at a silent fitness event or any of the various different ways that you use your headphones is that people have the same sense of false anonymity when they put on the headphones. So, um, for instance, at a silent disco concert, instead of when you're at a club or a, a theater, half the people might be actively listening to music at a silent disco event, 95% of the people are actively listening and most of them are dancing if it's dance music, right? It's fully immersive because you're not hearing any of the distracting things. We know we're learning so much more about neurology 
and about how our brains react to um, other outside sounds versus the ones we're paying attention to. Silent disco acts in much the same way as noise canceling headphones in that it blocks out everything but exactly what the artist is trying to have you hear. And so it becomes a direct com uh, conversation between the, the person or people, here it can be up to three to five to six people playing at the same time on different channels, but a direct conversation between whoever you're listening to and, and the, uh, the person on stage. And that's a really profound, immersive experience. It allows you to get much deeper into the music. It, be, it allows for a more cathartic, um, uh, I don't know how to put it, like people have breakthrough moments in the music. They feel much more uh, emotionally about what they're listening to when they have the headphones on, um, which is not something I expected. You know, the expectation was um, put the headphones on. We don't have subwoofers anymore. It's not going to be as deep. The reality is, is that uh, it's as deep as you want to go uh, in your own head. And um, I have seen some really, really fantastic results. I mean, I've DJed hundreds of these. I've produced thousands of them. And I have, I feel like we have, especially from the artist perspective, musicians and artists have told us, I've never had an audience like that, that listened as intently to what I was doing. I really felt like I was free to stretch and be more creative. These are not things you would expect with you know, what we think of as these, like, these toy headsets, right? This isn't, this isn't the kind of stuff that you really come into it expecting. And, uh, and it certainly has very little to do with the business of it. It has to do with all the higher goals of, of putting on, um, uh, putting on events and concerts and being in the creative arts. I love that so much. Robbie, thanks so much for spending some time with us here on the show today. Oh, man, thank you for having me. And um, what a wonderful podcast uh, to listen to. I've learned so much from your guests. What are you going to do to not only find your famous, but then live as the wonderfully, incredibly famous you that you are? Do you need to bring in virtual experts like Vicky to run your HR department and have people be in compliance and happy working in your company? Do you need a marketing agency that can help you find your famous and make you famous? Or perhaps you need to bring in somebody like Robbie and really get out there on the stage in new and unique ways that can allow you to be able to share to people in multiple languages or maybe even having multiple stages. Uh, there's so many cool ways um, especially when you bring in a little bit of technology and virtual workers and things like that that can really help promote you and really help you find your famous. And why do you want to do that? Because you are uniquely brilliant. You were created for a purpose and the world needs you. We are all so delighted to know that you're in this world. We look forward to the things that you're going to do because they're the things that only you can do. And with that, you're going to live and love and thrive every day as you live as a thriving entrepreneur. So excited to hear all about you on your journey. Feel free anytime to hashtag thriving entrepreneur. Until we're together again next time, have a great week. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. If you want to get your question answered, send an email to questions at wehelpyouthrive.com. We look forward to you joining us again next time.
Hi, my name is Steve Kidd. I am a third-generation minister, an international best-selling author of multiple books, and I help people write, publish, and market their books to bestseller. In fact, there are literally thousands of people that have used the system that I created to be able to write, publish, and market their books, and now they're best-selling authors, and you're next. I just wanted to come on for a minute, say hi to you, tell you a little bit about me, introduce myself, and tell you, I know the world is waiting on your message, and I would be so honored to be part of sharing your message with the world. Go to AskSteveKid.com and schedule a time to talk today.